Palm Sunday. Hosanna. I was actually hoping they might traipse in this morning with palm branches and everything, but I, I guess we don't do that. I was, I was thinking, we, we've been in this Route 66 series for a while, and I was thinking, okay, well, Palm Sunday comes along and Easter comes along. That would be a good time to break away from our Route 66 service and, and do a couple of messages, certainly for Easter, but also Palm Sunday. But then I realized, oh, on Palm Sunday, we're going to be at 1 Samuel. And 1 Samuel is all about give us a king. Send us a king. We need a king. Oh, well, that was good timing. That's what Palm Sunday is all about, isn't it? We need a king. God, send us a king. Here is our king, right? So I want to talk about three kings this morning. I know you probably think that normally we talk about the three kings in Christmas time, right? No, 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 these are other three kings. I want to talk about three kings from the book of First Samuel. Talking about three different kings, and this is all about that cry, Hosanna. Calling out to the Lord, calling out Hosanna to the king. We need a king to deliver us. It's a mess out there, isn't it? It's a good thing you're in here because it's a it's a mess out there, right? You know, Iran just continues on with all of its all of its craziness. There's chemical weapons apparently, or or crude chemical weapons now being used in Syria. The the uh, the, uh, the the European Economic Zone is is uh, is headed towards collapse. They can't figure out what they're going to do or whose money they're going to take out of the bank, and you're wondering if it's going to be yours. The economy here. We're not so sure, but, but uh, those who are our leaders, those who are our rulers, aren't sure what's the most important thing they should be focusing on, so they've decided just to keep arguing with each other, and, and you're wondering, what is going to happen around us? What's going to happen to my family? What's going to happen to my job? What's going to happen in our world? What's going to happen to our home? It's a mess out there. It's a good thing we're here. For an hour, we don't forget what's going on out there, but for an hour we have the chance to put all that's going on around us into a little clearer perspective. That's what worship is about. And, and there, there's a lot that First Samuel has to tell us about where our perspective ought to be, where we should be looking, who we should be looking to. In times of trouble, we would ask God, where's our king? And yet often, like the people in this book, often we, we want God to provide a more immediate king. If we have just the right ruler here, if we have just the right leader now, if we vote just the right way, somehow, if somebody makes just the right decisions, everything would be better. Well, in the book of 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel is named after, named after Samuel. Samuel is the last of the judges. Now, the judges we heard about in the in the in the previous, well, before the book of Ruth, we had the book of Judges, and Ruth occurs in the time of the Judges. The Judges were guys that God raised up to be a leader among the people, but the Judges were not kings. The Judges did not rule with that kind of kingly authority. Each person was responsible to follow God for themselves, and if they needed help in determining what it was that God would have them to do in a certain situation, the Judges were to help them discern that. The judges also functioned with the role of, were in the office of a prophet, to speak the mind of God to the matters at hand. 
Samuel was a prophet. Samuel had a school of the prophets. We might call that a seminary today. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if our seminaries qualify for a school of the prophets. But the mind of God to the matter at hand so that individuals, we could follow God for ourselves. Each one had the, had the responsibility to follow God. However, each man ended up in the time of the judges doing what's, what seemed right in his own eyes instead. And so, in the, in the midst of one catastrophe after another, well, he have Samuel, and Samuel is a good judge. Samuel has ruled well, and one of the ways that Samuel rules well, for instance, that we're given, is along the way when Israel's going to be attacked, Samuel sets up an altar, and he offers a burnt offering. He offers a lamb to God. And he, and he lifts up Israel's need. He lifts up the people's need, and he said, God, this is your battle. We are your people. And God miraculously intervenes. They hardly marshal an army. They just chase after them after God himself scatters them. Because Samuel is trusting God for their deliverance. Samuel's a good judge, but Samuel's sons don't follow in his ways. And often, often the time we see that and we ask, the, we ask the question, what have I done wrong as a parent? We want to read into the story. Oh, probably Samuel was too involved in ministry. Probably Samuel just focused on the needs of the people and didn't focus on the needs of his own family. If Samuel had been a better parent, well, back that all the way up to the Garden of Eden. What did God do wrong? What did God do wrong that his children strayed? The Bible doesn't tell us that Samuel did something wrong that his children strayed. We know that they strayed. We know that his sons did not walk in his ways, and so his sons were not going to be judges after him. This was not a dynasty. And in the midst of what shall we do, the people have an idea. What we really need is a king. Well, maybe you've thought about that for our country. Ah, some people seem to have. What we really need is a king. If we only had a king, if we had a, if we had a leader that just did what he thought was the right thing to do and just did it and took action, things would be better. Well, maybe they would be better. It would depend on the king, wouldn't it? You're really, a king can be a very good thing. It depends on if you have a really good king. Let me underline good as far as king. And that's the problem with having a king. If we only had a good king. Well, the people say, give us a king. Let me read to you. You'll find this in 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8, and I'm just going to read from verse 1. First nine verses. Samuel grew old. He appointed his sons as judges for Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel. The name of his second was Abijah. I got good names, Joel and Abijah. At least Joel. They served at Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. Oh, we see a little of that. They accepted bribes. They perverted or twisted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And they said to him, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. What are we going to do? Appoint a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. Everybody else has a king. Why can't we have a king like all the other nations? They asked for a king like the nations had, and that's ended up what they got. When they said, give us a king to lead us, they, this displeased Samuel. He prayed to the Lord. The Lord told him, listen to all the people are saying to you. It is not that they have rejected you. But they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until the day, forsaking me, serving other gods, so they are doing to you. Now listen to them, and, but warn them solemnly and tell them, know what the king who will reign over you will do. So God is saying what they're doing, they're rejecting following after me. Doing what they know to be right from me. 
They're wanting a king to just tell them what to do. They're wanting a king to put fences around and, and control what they do. And that's exactly what the king is going to do. He said, warn them of what a king is going to do. A king is going to, is going to take away all your property. A king, is, a king is going to take away all your stuff. He's going to raise your taxes. He's going to put your sons and daughters into his army and into his government service. And the government service will grow and the taxes will increase. Wait a minute. Do we have a king? This is sounding familiar. But... It's not going to be all that you think it's going to be. It's not going to solve all of your problems the way that you hope it's going to solve all your problems. But if it's a king that you want, it's a king that you... Samuel, you give him a king. And so Samuel's going to, gi- going to give them a king. It's, it's kind of like the manna and the quail thing in the, in the wilderness a long time ago. And all we have is this manna. If only we had meat to eat like we had in Egypt. God says, you want meat? Yeah, we want some meat. Okay, well, I'll give you some meat. He s- gave them the desires of their heart the psalm says, but he sent leanness to their souls. He gave them a king, but he sent leanness into their souls. So he tells Samuel, give them a king. Now, now chapters 9 and 10 introduce to us Saul, the king that the people crave. They, they introduce us to Saul. Saul is the man who would be king. Saul is the man who's, well, he would be king because he's, a, he's an impressive man. Saul is an impressive man who's marked by self-reliance. Saul relies on himself. Go ahead and advance up to King Saul. King Saul is is an impressive man marked on self-reliance. We we are introduced to him in chapter 9 and 10. It's interesting how how will we find this king? How will we find who it is that's supposed to be king? And God tells Samuel, this is how you're going to find him. He's lost his donkeys. The one who's out looking for his wandering donkeys, that's the guy who's supposed to be king. And I don't know about you, but I'm concerned when the chief requirement to be the next king of Israel is somebody who is skilled in looking for wandering donkeys. You know, sometimes we're, it's, the Bible does tell us all we like sheep have gone astray. Sometimes God seems to compare his people a different way. Just saying, it's in the story. Okay. So Saul is anointed in secret, and then he's recognized, after he's been anointed and chosen by God, he's recognized before the people, and God sets him apart. This is your king. And Saul's an impressive man. He's a good-looking man. He's, he stands taller than, uh, a, a good bit taller than anybody else around him. He's from an unlikely family. He's from the smallest of the tribes. And yet, this is God's king. That he, this is the king God has given them that they asked for. A, a, an impressive-looking king. A king like all the other nations have. So the man who would be king, an impressive man, marked with self-reliance, starts well in chapter 11. But by chapter 13, things aren't going so well. Chapter 13, there again, the Philistines are invading. The Philistines are in this book a lot. The Philistines are invading again, constantly harassing. They're, they're coming in again, and, and Saul is supposed to wait for Samuel. Because Samuel is going to come. He's going to offer an offering to the Lord. That's how he responded last time. And that trust, that confidence in God instead is what gave the victory. Well, it's day seven. The seventh day Samuel was, was supposed to come, but it's already the seventh day, and he's not here yet. We're watching our watches, and we're thinking, man, we've got we to do something. Sometimes you just feel like you've got to do something, and Saul felt like he had to do something. So he says, well, you know, I know what to do. I saw Samuel last time. I heard what he did, and, and you know, he's not here yet. It's getting kind of late. I'm going to go ahead, and he takes the priestly robe upon himself, and he offers the—and just as he's starting to do the offering thing that— 
he's not supposed to do. He's king, not priest. Samuel shows up. Awkward. And there's, there's the warning already that Samuel gives him that because of his, in his, his, his unwillingness to trust God, his, 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 his willingness to rely instead on himself, to charge ahead on his own, that the kingdom is going to be taken from him. His kingdom won't last. It goes from bad to worse by chapter 15. In chapter 15, we find Saul's disobedience. His disobedience is actually in a failure to obey God completely. Like I said, it's good to have a king if you have a good king. Saul is not good enough. Saul's the man who would be king. He's a man, he's an impressive man, but he seems to be more impressed with himself. He's a man who relies upon himself rather than on God and what God has told him to do. And so God tells him that the kingdom is going to be torn from him. The kingdom is going to be taken away from him. That um, it's going to, going to be given to another one. The spirit of God that was upon him, is, the spirit is going to be taken from him and is going to be put upon another instead. Saul was to be king, but he makes plans his own way. He goes his own he relies on himself instead. He cares more about what others think. In this moment when God told him, you can't be king anymore, you know what he says? He says in chapter 15, well, come on, don't embarrass me in front of everybody. All the people are here. You know, Come on, just come on. Let's do the, do the sacrifice thing. Let's make a good show here. He, he, grabs, he grabs Samuel by the robe. Samuel's a really old guy by this time, too. This is just not right. And he grabs him by the robe. He says, no, 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 stay here and, and offer a sacrifice for me, you know, for appearance's sake before the people. And just the way that he grabs Saul's robe and tears, or Samuel's robe and tears it, so that's when Samuel says those words. In the same way, the kingdom is going to be torn from you. Torn from you and given to another. Yeah. Saul was the man who would be king, but he won't. Now, pausing for Saul just a minute, we make plans. We want to go along with God, but we want things. I want things my way. I want things on my timing, not God's timing. After all, doesn't the Bible say God helps those who help themselves? Actually, the Bible doesn't say that. Satan says that. God helps those who cannot help themselves. God helps those who depend on him, who trust in him. In chapter 15, Saul keeps back some of the spoils of war. He was supposed to, he was supposed to give everything over to the over to destruction. It was like Jericho all over again. Everything out of this victory is to be totally wiped out, given to the Lord, devoted to destruction as an offering to God. Nothing is supposed to be kept and held back. And Saul, by this time, he's deciding, you know, there's some really good stuff here. There's some best of the livestock here that we're going to keep. And in fact, I'm, I'll probably bring some of those back and offer them to, to the Lord. He's going to be really pleased with some of this livestock that I would give as an offering instead. And and that's where you have that famous line that to obey is better than to sacrifice. To obey is better even than to sacrifice. God didn't want a sacrifice from him on an altar. God wanted him to simply obey and walk in his ways. And that's what, that's what Saul did not do. But we do the same things, don't we? Just a little. I, I mostly obey, but just a little I'm going to keep back. Just a it's kind of like on my taxes. I, I'll... I'll do them mostly just as they should be. Just a little extra. I'll, I'll pad this deduction, or I'll, 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 I'll pad that. I'll exaggerate that just a little. 
it won't be a big deal after all. I mean, it's just a little. I'm, I'm a small fish. Don't, doesn't the IRS go after the big fish? No, no. You know, the federal penitentiary is full of people when the audit came who thought that it was just a little, it wouldn't matter. They don't care if it's just a little. It's still tax fraud. They don't care if you're not a big fish and your little pittance that you saved for yourself, which wasn't, wasn't worth all of this, they don't care that you held that back, but yours wasn't a small amount. What they care about is it's defined as tax fraud, and you're going to pay. Your drug rehab is full of people who said, it's just a little. It's just this once. I just want to experiment. The people around me are, and then it spins out of control from there. It's just a little. It's just this once. But Saul was the man who would be king, who relies on himself, who can't be king. It turns our attention to David, a man who, who should be king. David is the one who's, who is chosen to take Saul's place, although the handover takes the whole rest of the book because Saul doesn't want to let go. Isn't that like us too? God has set something in our hands, and God is now going to take that out of our hands, but I don't want to let go. So here we have this tension now between, but, but like Saul, David in very similar ways, it's interesting, he's, he's chosen by God, he's the man who should be king because he's a man after God's own heart. David, I, I, I've suggested, is an impressed man. David is a man who is impressed with God. Rather than self-reliance, David is a man who is impressed with God, so his trust is in God, rather than himself. It doesn't mean that David's perfect. David's not perfect. You will see that later on in 2 Samuel especially. David is not perfect, but David knows where to go with his failures. David knows that in the midst of his failures, failures he must trust God. So David is the man that, like Saul, he's, he's marked out in secret. He's anointed by God in secret. And that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 16. That's important. 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is anointed as king. He's already marked in secret as king. But now, in first chapter 17, he comes to the battlefield. Now Saul and all the armies of Israel, and Saul has had the Holy Spirit taken from him, but he's still got the crown as king. And Saul and all the, all the soldiers are there at the battlefield against who? The Philistines, again, these guys just don't go away. The trouble keeps coming. The Philistines are back again. And, and so, so there are the armies there. And there's this guy called Goliath. And he's huge. He's even taller than Saul. He's huge. He's a giant. And he comes out every morning and every night. And he defies the God of Israel. He blasphemes the God of Israel. He mocks the promises of God. And he dares anybody to come out and fight him. And the army of Israel... And the king of Israel, cower. David is sent by his father to the battlefield. And there he hears this taunting going on. He says, who is this? What is going on here? Now you're familiar with the, with the story of David and Goliath, perhaps. And you know, boy, out of that story, we should be brave like David. We should fight our enemies the way that David fought his enemy. We should be brave like David. We should, we should, we should have faith like David. Well, that's a little closer. But we easily miss the story, making the story about David and Goliath about us. The story of David and Goliath is not about us. The story of David and Goliath is about the king. It's a story of the king. 
And it moves us from the first king to the second king, actually to the third king. The story of David and Goliath is like this. David hears him, him making these taunts. In fact, let's, let me turn over there to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 17. These are David's words to this Philistine. Now, David has been sent by his father to the battlefield. If you're using a pew Bible, by the way, I'm on page 204, 1 Samuel chapter 17. David has been sent by his father to the battlefield, and he hears this. Now, David has been sent. He's already been anointed in chapter 16 as king, right? He is the king, but nobody yet has recognized it. They still think it's Saul. <laughs> but Saul's cowering in his tent. And here is this Here is this giant making these pronouncements over and over again. And the people, he's sent to his brothers, but his brothers and all the people, they have no hope. They cower in fear, the superior enemy. None in Israel can stand against this giant. They need a champion who could stand for them. Reminded of the hymn. They need somebody to fight for them. Doth ask who that may be? King Saul, it is not he. Pretender is his name. He hides away in shame. Goliath has no equal. That's the scene that David comes upon. And yet David goes out against this giant, and he says this. David said to the Philistine in verse 45 of chapter 17, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down. I will cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. You see what the story is about? The story is not about which army is stronger. The story is about which God is stronger. And the world will know, the nations will know that there is a God in Israel. All who have gathered here will know that it is not by the sword or the spear, but the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you, all of you, into our hands. You thought David used a sling and a stone because that's all he had because he was a shepherd boy. Well, that's a cute story, and it works well for Sunday school. But David used a sling and a stone and not a sword or a spear because the battle is not by sword or by spear. The battle is the Lord's. And if anybody is going to win the victory, he must win the victory. And so here we have this son sent by his father to the aid of his brothers who are trapped and in bondage to fear and have no way to to deliver themselves. And this son who has been anointed as king, although not yet recognized as king, he goes and he fights against the enemy, the battle that nobody else can fight, the battle that nobody else can win. And he, because the spirit of the Lord is upon him, he defeats that enemy and gives victory and blessing to the people of God. Now, who does that sound like? Does that sound like be brave like David? No, it sounds like David introduces us to the even better king. David introduces us to the true and better king who is sent from heaven to earth into the midst of the battlefield by his father. He's already been anointed and chosen as king, and yet he is sent for us to fight a battle that we cannot fight. We do not lift a finger to help ourselves, and yet he comes into the battle, and he wins the battle for us, and he defeats the foe, strikes him dead, leads us into his victory and triumph. 
And all the, all, the, all, the, all the people rejoiced in that story. And they said, oh, Saul's killed his thousands, but David is ten thousands. And Jesus has entered into death itself to deliver all who would believe on him. David and Goliath is not about being brave like David. David and Goliath is about the the son sent from the father, the one who is anointed by God, standing in God's promise, standing in God's covenant and said, because the spirit of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me, I cannot lose this battle. Victory is the Lord's. Well, is there something for us from David? I think there is. You and I, like David, we cannot sit back. You and I, like David, we must engage, but it's on these terms that you and I are anointed of the Lord in Christ. As David was anointed by the Lord, so we in Christ. He said, greater things will you do. Why? Because I go to the Father and I send my spirit upon you. And so we can say with our Lord Jesus, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. In Christ, the Lord has anointed me. And so I have to engage. I talked earlier about Easter. I talked about Good Friday. I talked about your friends, your co-workers, your colleagues. There are people that you would invite. And the point is, it's not merely about, well, should I invite my friends? Should I be brave like David and invite my friends? The point is, you have been anointed. The point is, you have been set apart by God and you've been put there. He has called you ambassador. He has called you his witness. And he has set you around a particular group of people. The church from when it was founded was always on mission. And Jesus said the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's not, it's not the gates of the church. We're not supposed to sit here and, and have a fortress and be safe and, 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 and the, the hell itself will not overtake us. No, we're supposed to storm the gates where the dead are. And we're supposed to bring the life and life of the gospel in Christ there. And those gates cannot prevail because God has said, you are my witnesses. You are my chosen. Like David. And what do we do? We are the body of Christ. We carry on this battle that we have been given by God as the body of Christ. In him, not us. In his strength, not mine. He must win the battle. I was, I, 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 I was told a story just, just, as, just before the service started or just as the service was starting. One of our, one of our men, Stan Campbell, he's the, he, he's the head of our welcome team. And he was describing a, a recent welcome that he, he, he had with one of his coworkers. Come on up, Stan. I, I, I just asked him just, just before the service started, could you share that story with the rest of the church? Because it, it exemplifies what I'm talking about, that God has chosen us. God will use you. So, is this on? The yellow. Yeah? It's on? Yeah. Okay. So, I was sharing with Bob this morning about a co-worker and, and uh, how, how blessed I was this week, you know, to be able to talk to him. And I've been talking to this guy for a couple years. A couple years ago, he, I, he was missing some work, and I, my job is to go to each one of our construction sites and make sure everything's going okay. And I bumped into this gentleman and, and asked him what was going on, and, and he just started pouring his heart out and telling me all these things that were going upside down in his life. And, 
And I, I told him then, two years ago, I'm going to be praying for you every day. And then every so many weeks or days, I'd run into him. And, and sometimes I'd talk to him, sometimes I wouldn't. But, but I'd ask him, you know, how he's doing. And sometimes it was going better, sometimes it was going worse. But I always told him that I'm, I'm praying for you. And then I would pray for him every day, and then I'd start to drift off a little bit. Then I'd bump into him, and then I'd ignite that again, and, and I'd be praying for him. And I'd always told him, call me any time during the day or night when you get to the point that you want to know the Lord. And then this went on for about two years, and, you know, I just really in my mind was thinking, you know, is this ever going to happen, you know? And then about two weeks ago, he was really struggling, and uh, he really was hitting rock bottom, and and I told him that, you know, really really, what you need um, is to turn your life over to the Lord and let him lead you through all these things. It says it's, it's, as a guy, it's our nature to fix it, fix it on our own and walk away. But th that doesn't always work, and you, ne you need to follow the Lord. I said, I'm going to continue to pray for you every day and uh, call me anytime. And... Uh, well, Friday morning, I was driving to work and drinking my coffee, and I get to this certain spot on the way to work, and I know I need to start praying by that time, you know, and I was getting there. And so then I just started praying and asking God to prepare my heart for the day and stuff. And, and then my phone rang, and I don't usually answer it during my prayer time. And I look down, and it it was this guy, and. said, uh, you said I could call you any time. I said, yep. And we began to talk, and he was sharing, and things were horrible. I said, let me pray for you. And we prayed, and, and anyway, after about 45 minutes, I had the privilege to lead him to the Lord. Amen. And so after two years of just wondering what happened. Thank you. Wow. That's not just Dan's story. That's your story, my story. That's, God has set us among people. Y week by week, month by month, I'm praying for you. I'm listening, I'm caring, I'm praying, and I'm ready to give an answer for the hope that is in me. And folks all around us are hungry for hope. We have been given this privilege, this responsibility to introduce to the people around us. We have been placed near to people who need to know not the man who would be king, not even David who should be king, but the man that we need as king. If David tells us anything, David, David shows us an impressed man, a man impressed by God, a man who's marked by trust in God rather than himself. David shows us where we need to go with our failures and where the people around us need to go. David shows us something about what it is to stand and represent and resemble the Lord Jesus himself in the midst of this world, in the midst of the places that he has set you. I'll jump ahead a little bit to that last king. I, sa I said there were three kings here. And so I want to move from the man who would be king, the man who should be king, to the man that we need to be king. And there now we're back at Matthew 21. I read that to the kids, so we don't need to turn there again and read it again. But there are two things that happen there. And I mentioned them to the kids as well. There are two things that happen in the midst of Matthew 21. One of them is they cry out, okay, kids, kids, we're going to do this again, right? 
The people all cry out. They have one word shout. Can you do that for me again? The people all cry out. Oh, that's good. I thought some of you bigger kids would help them, but that's okay. That's okay. That's okay. You'll, you'll pick it up. It's tricky. The, so, Jose, and what that means is save us now, deliver us now. And for those that had seen him, those who had believed in him, those that trusted he is the one who will save us now, deliver us now, how do they respond in worship? Now, why did there need to be coats on the road? I don't know. Why did there need to be, if you didn't have a coat, you went and got something. You grabbed a palm branch in order to lay that to carpet this road. But don't miss this. If Jesus is the king, he is worthy. If he is the one, he is worthy. I will call out, Lord, save me. And I will throw my coat down. All right? I'm, I started us off talking about all the things that are going on. All the things that are going on, all the mess that's out there in life. And I wanted to close reading a psalm. That's a Palm Sunday psalm. It's a Palm Sunday psalm. It's a King David psalm. King David is expressing about himself and his own reign and his own enemies and his confidence in God who has set him up as king. But David seems to know. By the Spirit of God upon him, David seems to know that his rulership only points to a greater king to come. Only, only points to a higher authority that is. Listen to Psalm 2. In the midst of the troubles that you have, in the midst of the problems that you face, in the midst of your wonder, is anybody in charge of this thing? Why do the nations rage? And the peoples plot a vain thing. Against the, the kings of the earth take their stand, and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they say, let us break their chains. Let's not follow God anymore. Let's, we'll do whatever we want, thank you. They, let us break their chains, they say. Let us throw off their bindings or fetters. But the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he rebukes them in his anger terrifies him in his wrath, saying, I have set my king on my holy hill in Zion. I will proclaim the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten thee. Today I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will rule them with an iron scepter. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings of the earth, be wise, be warned. You rulers of the earth, serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son lest he be angry and you be destroyed in your way. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Psalm 2 says that I don't need to fear a nuclear Iran. I don't need to fear a stock market bubble. I don't need to fear a car accident on the way home. I don't need to fear personal rejection. All of those things could happen. Life could be harder. It may get harder. But I trust in the decree of the Lord who in Jesus has said to me, You are my beloved son. Today I am your father. Ask of me and I will give even you a share in Christ's inheritance. You will even rule with him. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Lord for all of those who would be in Christ, for all of those who would share that same invitation that Stan gave to his friend. Won't you trust in Christ to be your deliverer? Won't you cry out Hosanna to him? 
Jesus is the saving king that Saul needed. He's the saving king that David saw and shows us he's my king. Is he your king? I want to leave you with those two questions. Have you cried out, Hosanna, Lord, save me. Lord, deliver me. They wanted to be saved from difficult circumstances, so do we, but Jesus will save us from the evil of sin and its consequences. Jesus will save us from what these other troubles only remind us of, our separation from God, our helplessness in sin. If you've cried out, Hosanna, throw down your coat. Throw down your coat. And I don't know exactly what that means, but what I mean by it is this. Honor him in worship. There's something that you'd hold on. There's something you'd reserve for yourself. There's something you would say, I want it my way. I want it for me. If he is the one you would worship the king, then in some way, somehow, extravagantly, throw down your coat. You say, I didn't have a coat. I didn't bring a coat. I'm not asking you to walk on your coat today. But like they ran, they ran and they got a palm branch. There's something. What would I present? What of mine that I could keep for myself will I yield to him? There's child care for Good Friday. There wasn't a week ago. We didn't plan that little bit of it in advance enough. And there wasn't anybody scheduled. There wasn't anybody ready. Some folks heard about that and they said, well, I will lay down my coat. I will give of myself because I want young families especially to be able to come and to be able to worship and to remember at Good Friday that they can cry Hosanna. Perhaps you're thinking this morning, you need to do one of two things. There's something you hold on to you need to lay down or there's someone that you need to trust in, the Lord himself, as the, as the, as the worship team comes, and they're going to lead us in a song that reminds us that the world is on his shoulders. And if the world is on his shoulders, then those shoulders are big enough for you. Would you pray with me? Father, we trust you. Because you have shown us your love, you have given us your son. Your book tells us of him. That's what it's about. Over and over and over again, you have given us out of this book an image, a picture of yourself. You've shown us Jesus, your Savior, the Savior that you sent for us. Lord, to him we would cry out even now. Even in the midst of this song, we would cry out, Hosanna, Lord, save me. We would, Lord, in practical terms, lay our coats down. We would give something that we have in worship to you. Lord, we do that in this offering that we receive at this time. But maybe there's something else. Maybe there's a way that I need to give myself. Lord, would you lead us there? Would you do it for your glory? We pray it in Jesus' name.